You're listening to The Real Enneagram Podcast, a spiritual quest, brought to you by the Institute for Conscious Being. Thank you for joining us today. We have a really great podcast lined up with a very special guest. Today we have, of course, myself, Erica Jobes, and the wonderful Dr. Joseph Howell. And today's guest is a special one, especially to me. His name is Tom Pointer. And he is an amazing guy beyond his amazing ability to have incredible fashion at all times. He is also the lay chaplain for the Episcopal Church for the University of California, Berkeley. So he's a world traveler. He has a few hidden talents that he probably wouldn't want me to tell our listeners, but he can play the accordion really well. And um, he has been known to liven up a get together with his personality and his music. So uh, what makes Tom special to me is that uh, when I first found the Institute for Conscious Being uh, many years ago, I joined the training program and Tom and I were in training together. So I met this very mysterious, tall, very fashionable, very well-spoken man from California. And we hit it right off, didn't we, Tom? We did. Yeah. I, you know, I may not look like I love a deep conversation, but I do. So <laughs> we had some we had some good ones. So thank you for joining us, Tom. How is it in Berkeley today? Well, I think Berkeley's probably fine, but I'm in Alabama. Uh, oh, so I did not know that. I've been co-vacationing for a while in Alabama. It was getting a little bit too much in California with everything being shut down. So okay. it made more sense to be at my parents for a while. Yeah. It's a great time to spend some time with family. Exactly. Yeah. I've been watching Four Seasons, which is the first time I've been able to do that in a long time. I think the California seasons are seasons by Impressionist painters. You can just make out the change from fall to winter, but the part is all the same. Gotcha. Well, it's beautiful here in Alabama today, so it's been great weather this weekend. Joe, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm glad Tom's here. He was visiting at our home a couple of weeks ago and talk about deep conversations. Wow. Mm-hmm. Three of us mm-hmm. really got into it and it's to be continued. Mm-hmm. It always is with Tom. There's yeah. always a really great meta view of spirituality and religion and how that fits in with everything else, which is fascinating to me. It's always something I love to talk about. Tom is an expert on uh, the French place of Tazé as a music, and we're trying to get him to figure out a way to get an ICB tour to Taze for uh, our group, and he's percolating on that right now. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I would, there's no one I'd rather go to that specific place with than Tom. I'm sure he's full of lots of great information about it. So, Tom, tell us, since we're, you know, doing a podcast about the Enneagram, how did you first discover the Enneagram? You know, I actually think I just like you saying nice things about me. Can we just do that the podcast instead of answering the questions? Uh, the Enneagram, I stumbled on it really by accident in college. I lived in a professor's house my last two years there, and um, he had this library full of all sorts of interesting books, one of which was something about the Enneagram, which I thought, well, what new age nonsense is this? Started reading through it. And when I got to the type four, I'll go ahead and um, not bury the lead and tell you what I am. I read through that one. And 
just went into absolute despair, you know, when it talked about spending a life of, I guess, elegant depression. You know, that, that sounds a lot better in books than it does in real life. Um, so that was, my, uh, that was my intro to it. But I didn't really actually get okay. uh, deeply into it until I was working in Amiston at the church that Joe and Lark Howell still attend. And between Joe's own deep knowledge, um, I mean, you were you were knowledgeable then. You're more knowledgeable now, but you were already pushing it. And then we also had a parish mm-hmm. secretary, Sue Tidwell, who, as both Joe and I recall, was a deep soul, and she was very much thoroughly imbued with the wisdom of the Enneagram. So, between all that, I didn't really stand a chance. It was going to be in my life. <laughs> So you you met Joe, and of course I know I know the story because I was there. You joined the ICB training program, and and you joined. Well, you and I joined in one of the first few years of their tra- training programs, and so I'd like to think you and I helped just make it what it is today. But um, <laughs> just kidding. How did you experience that particular time? you know, training with the ICB and learning the Enneagram, what was your experience of growing in the knowledge there? It was really interesting to me because, you know, the the West Coast, as anybody who's been through ICB knows, is ground zero for, uh, for the Enneagram, and especially where I work in Berkeley. You know, it really just all entered through there. So it was fascinating to come from Berkeley back to Alabama to actually kind of really get deeper in it. And I think one of the one of the advantages that Alabama and Joe and ICB provided in that is, uh, I would say, in a lot of ways, a more authentic spirituality to the Enneagram. It tends to the the spiritual components tend to be lost uh, in a lot of the conversations I have on the West Coast about it. For me to to really have that space to do it, and also to do it in places that I know really well and love, so both at Camp McDowell and at Canuga. And to do it alongside of people. And then actually one at Sewanee. You hit all the major touchstones in my life with ICB. Mm-hmm. You know, that certainly left me very ready and susceptible to go more deeply into it. I, I agree. I mean, having a safe container for the first time you experience uh, the pain of learning your ego type is extremely important. You know, because you, you know, especially in the training program, we really open up to each other about... Uh, the ins and outs of our types, our passions, our, you know, disintegrations. And then, of course, we move from that to the real meat of the Enneagram, which is really learning how to get back to soul. And uh, do you remember, Tom, a time when the time when you were studying the Enneagram that you realized your real essence, where the Enneagram takes you? Yeah, because I mean, I, it was one of the things that um, kind of stood out, first of all, just, you know, I, I, I've always heard about this experience of going to an Enneagram event and sitting down with your type, you know, and sort of exploring that. And I've met other fours, you know, I feel like fours tend to be a little bit like cats, you know, where we don't really want anyone else in our turf around the personality type. So, you know, with the fours, I didn't, I looked at them and thought, oh, th- these are not fours, this possibly can't this can't be the way it's supposed to be, uh, which is always my reaction to other fours. They're clearly not fours. And then, you know, once the conversation started going and I got past surface issues, then, you know, really 
leading towards these questions around the soul child, you know, to, to actually see the ways that, you know, we, we were carrying not necessarily the same wounds, but very similar responses. Mm-hmm. And that really opened up a way to um, thinking about it. And I think, you know, the doing the, I think, do you call it the soul child exercise? Is that or mm-hmm. sort of the guided meditation mm-hmm. that you do with God. That was a new way of approaching it. You know, there's always this conversation about integration and all those kinds of things with the Enneagram, but actually looking at it, you know, as this journey back to a particular self was really helpful. Thinking about the ways that I did actually view the world uh, as a child. You know, I mean, there's, there's always a creative element, I feel, that was, you know, what you associate with the four, but actually the ways that um, I could see of looking at it kind of in this healthy one, healthy soul child place was, was a new experience for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I have a similar experience to you, Tom, and finding the books first and spending some time in the books and getting familiar with the path of integration from a, in a real heady kind of way. And then having the experience of ICB where there's an understanding that my point of integration is actually the place where my essence is and that I came into the world as a little girl, you know, me being an ego type eight, I came into the world. That little girl was a sweet, loving little two. And then when you do that, that exercise where you go into the backyard and you do the meditation and you kind of revisit, you remember um, that little person that you came into the world as so there's that moment where you remember that that little for you a little boy for me a little girl and then to realize that that person is still there quite an aha moment for me being that strong yeah. difficult eight <laughs> <laughs> yeah I can especially imagine that that's um it, it feels like maybe it's a little bit easier to go towards the the orderliness of the one than to make yourself vulnerable to go towards the two. Mm-hmm. in that way yeah but it's also but it was it was nice to be freed of the idea that it's an accomplishment you know to to be i i still often tend to think of when i'm integrating you know that oh look at me i'm making good integration checklists right now which is about the most one thing possible <laughs> um, but you know to really understand that it's not this is not some accomplishment that i'm doing i'm not going to get a prize for integration or something like that mm-hmm. well you know since that time since uh you know, learning about, you know, your soul child or your essence or your integration point. How do you experience that now in your current life, in your current situation, your essence? You know, it's interesting because the the pandemic has obviously been a strange way to try and engage with a lot of these questions. You know, I, I do feel like I'm in a bit of an eddy often trying to think and plan out what are going to be next steps in my own life and trying to hold that in with uh, this idea that, you know, I'm not just going to do my usual four things that would have been previous choices that I've made. Uh, that's, that's one thing, but it, it's still in that way, it's kind of more hypothetical or abstract, but you know, it did begin and it did begin in very practical ways. I mean, I just suddenly started being on time a lot more, which Joe can tell you was something that I never did. You know, it was even actually resentful of having to be on time. But it was it was really a larger part of trying to understand that what good is the creativity if it's just in service of chaos? What good are mm-hmm. any of the gifts that I have if they're not actually really trying to express 
express something to the world in a way that actually serves it. And I, and I think this idea of understanding the soul child of the four, of you know, really trying to put aside the ego of individuality to really look towards the actual mm-hmm. calling to expression to to wisdom, um, those kinds of things. You know, I think in this in this case, J.K. Rowling was really spot on about Dumbledore being a four. You know, that you can see when he goes towards being the true teacher and all that sort of stuff and that integration that I feel like is um, understanding that there is a way that manifests better than the one that I have done for a lot of my life has been really helpful. Yeah, understanding we create a lot of our own suffering. Yeah. And, you know, being, being witness to it as it's happening is has been especially helpful for me. What has been your experience, you know, being the, the lay chaplain at Berkeley? How do you engage these college-aged people, people that I guess are in their 20s and 30s? How do you engage them with the Enneagram, or do you? I try. It's hard. You know, I mean, on one end, as we know, it's um, because I, I primarily have used the Enneagram with students, but... There's so much going on in the undergraduate life, especially at Berkeley, which is a place of performative anxiety. The students, if they're not stressed, if they're not about to fall apart, then they're not being a good student. That's sort of the way that they seem to think about it. So, you know, we've done various sort of talk sessions and engagements with it, those kinds of things. But, you know, that's, as Joe would say, that's really when they're at the peak of their ego strength. So it, it's been hard with students to try and break through. I've had a little bit more space to do it with interns that I work with who are living together for a year. So they're usually just out of college and doing service work and living in community. And, you know, when you're living in close, tight-knit community, then all of those edges start coming out in a different way. So we would always begin with Enneagram as part of their training and their orientation I think the challenge mm-hmm. is that they're so accustomed, a lot of young adults. I mean, just last weekend, I was in Sewanee, uh, which I guess maybe I should still be whispering, because uh, I think they were sort of somewhat closed down still for COVID. But I, uh, I was up there for an undergrad birthday party, and I was talking to some people about the Enneagram there, and you know, they were talking about it in the sense of their types. So it's really this way of like still being, you know, the type is just a way for me to do what I need to do. Uh, and it's very rarely presented as part of moving beyond themselves. So that's the real challenge that I find of working with particularly mm-hmm. that early 20s group is how mm-hmm. do you, how do you actually see that there is a place for you to get to when what you're doing is working really well? right now, or at least you think it's working mm-hmm. really well. It's hard to explain to an undergrad that, you know, in essence, their soul is walking around with a pulled muscle and the rest of their soul is trying to correct for that and is ultimately mm-hmm. doing a lot of damage and warping. I, you know, I was, I've, I've often thought about what it would be like if I had been introduced to the Enneagram and to this work in my 20s or 30s. Would I, would I have listened? Would I have taken the information in and had a completely different trajectory, you know? So I, any chance I get to speak to somebody younger, but I agree with you. I mean, a lot of them, it's very, it's around, you know, 
their type is kind of the majority of what they want to talk about and everybody else's type and 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 there's so there's so much more than that for a you know a lifelong perspective is helpful. I understand you have been working with Maggie Banger. I guess she's a professional counselor here in Birmingham, Alabama and she's also a student of the ICB. And I guess you and and Maggie and Joe have been developing an Enneagram assessment tool. And I'm just curious about that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it really was not actually an assessment tool as much as it was a way to use the Enneagram for discernment. Uh, And it it was born out of this process of doing the living Enneagram. Mm. Ever since I first did the living Enneagram, I tried to think of ways you know, I thought about a children's book where it's sort of like going to a house and you pull open doors and there are the different types and children can kind of engage. I was trying to go through all the different ways that this could be presented to people where you don't have a group of people trained in the types to respond back to people in person. And so I was working, we also had an, an, uh, one of my interns, I should add in there, Miles von Herman, who uh, studies a lot of code writing and that sort of thing. And so he was very useful to bring the, help try and bring this program to fruition. It's not yet ready, and I can explain more about that because I think it's actually, that has also been a good learning process within all this as well. Uh, but, you know, the idea was how four people, and primarily in their 20s, can we offer something that lets them think through sort of what they want to do with their life and use all of the Enneagram types to get some sort of response and you know short of developing a really sophisticated ai program uh, which none of us really had the ability to do it needed to be static kinds of questions so what we ultimately landed on and joe can testify to this that we spent a lot and maggie as well that there's a lot of time like trying to hammer through how do you ask the right questions around this mm-hmm. you know, something that will always provide the good response to people without having to change And what we looked at was sort of this imaginative journey through one year, three year, and five years of a life. And with each of those stages of years, you would go deeper into the integration of each enneotype. And so just like with the living enneagram, you start with what is your integrated type and work through the journey and through the wings until you come back to yourself. The, The ultimate objective was that with each one, you would kind of journal out your responses to these questions. And you know, each of the questions is related to the development, I guess, away from the ego fixation which, with those types. Uh, and then the hope is that once you've completed it, you can send in these responses. And somebody who, you know, who's been trained in this can offer just a little bit of a collection of what people, you know, what they read from that as a way to help people think about what they want to do. It was very involved. Um, <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds like it would actually be very useful if if this is something that, you know, we can get to a place that's working well. Yeah. I think the next thing that we really want to do, what's really been hard with it has been that um, the test runs that I did with students and young adults and that sort of thing on it is like when you started asking people in a pandemic what they want to do in a year, three years, five years, they just shut down. Mm-hmm. So it's actually, it was too much to really do for right now. So it had to be mm-hmm. shelved for a little bit to really try. And to go back and retool, there's some other things, just some physical imaginative descriptions that need to be rewritten and that kind of thing. But um, mm-hmm. that was the big thing is that really it's hard to know 
you know, people just felt stressed out. Yeah, it's a lot like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, you've right. got to you got to know where your next meal is coming from, and if you're going to have a job or not. Uh, and in this right. pandemic, all those things have been really, you know, questionable. So I'm sure it was hard to really think out, you know, in terms of three and five years in that kind of a situation. So I think I think that would be a challenge for anybody. Speaking of the uh, instrument again, if you could describe what you feel could be the result of using and taking this instrument, what would, if you had your uh, ideal, what would be the net result of using this questionnaire? I think it would be, I mean, ideally, you know, one of the things that has been on my mind a lot over the last couple of years, even when there's not a pandemic to deal with in working with this age, has been how how do you really ask questions about your life that matter? I was recently talking with a just finished grad student at Berkeley, and you know, there this is someone who went to an Ivy League undergrad and then got into a PhD program at Berkeley and then got you know a very prestigious NSF fellowship. National Science Foundation Fellowship. So he's known so much about what to do with his life in terms of those steps, but is now really getting into the next stage of now, what do my relationships mean? How do I integrate all of that? This has been, you know, especially at a place like Berkeley, where there's so many people who are overachievers, who are really focused on how to do what they think they're supposed to do, but never have been taught to ask about who they are. You know, and I think a lot of ways our environment doesn't allow for that. So that's really one of the major things is just to ask, who are you? Who do you want to be? What are the sorts of things that are the real core of ethics and religion and moral philosophy? So just to get people going down that direction would be a great gift from this. And then, you know, the next thing is actually to provide something that moves hopefully people beyond that ego question uh you know really to see i mean you know if nothing else in my life i can think of several relationships that might have gone a lot better if the ego type had not been the stopping point for all conversations you know if they had been able to ask rather than me me having been trained in the enneagram and always knowing how to do that work for myself and then trying to do it for them how much better would it have been if we were doing that side by side and talking about it? So mm-hmm. how, so, you know, hopefully unlocking that through this instrument. Yeah. And I guess the right. idea is to help these people avoid suffering of getting themselves right. in situations where they ultimately would be unhappy just based on what they love to do and based on who they are. And that's, I mean, that, you know, those of us who have spent years studying the Enneagram know that it can be very helpful to think about what you should be doing, what your purpose is in this life based on what really gives you true joy. And, you know, those things that actually just give you a lot of angst. Yeah. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly with that. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that has always struck me when I've done a lot of Enneagram things is that oftentimes, and I don't mean this to be denigrating or anything like that, but, you know, people don't start doing this until retirement, till they have time. And it's just like, oh, what might your life have been like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We come to this earlier. I mean, I was 
I was lucky to be in a place right out of college where I was surrounded by people who are actually thinking about this and had that luxury in my own life. But you know, that's not something that is available to a lot of people, though it should be. It's right there. You know, it's very easy to right. get to. Well, what would you recommend for people who are listening to this podcast that would like to learn more about the Enneagram in a way that's useful? I mean, obviously, you know, if it's possible, ICB is a very good way. I mean, especially to be able to do this journey with people would be the best thing. You know, I think to to any way that you can do it where you're in a community asking the questions seems really important. And to acknowledge that uh, this is not this is not a self-improvement thing in the usual sense of the word. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it truly is a way of connecting with authenticity, Um, you know, connecting to deep sources. I think that's, so putting aside any kind of like, well, this will finally make the best me possible. No, that's not what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Those seem to be some of the, the most important things. Yeah. And just, you know, not, Be willing to take the time. I mean, this is the other thing that I found was really hard with the little tool that we've been trying to develop is getting people to commit to taking the time to do it. Because, you know, especially when you're talking about something like the Enneagram, what we're accustomed to is a BuzzFeed quiz with it, you know, or I just the other day, I got a thing from a calendar planner um, company that I use where they were talking about how each Enneagram type uses their calendars. Uh, you know, it was just all the ego from each one of these calendars. It's like, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about here. This is not a quick fix. And so mm. being re- realizing that, you know, this is a lifetime journey and you're not going to solve it in a week. Well, uh, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed spending this time with you, Tom. I haven't seen you in so long. So it's been great to see you and see that you're alive and well and that, you, you know, <laughs> you still look handsome and fashionable. And... um <laughs> This is just audio. Nobody's actually seeing it. (laughs) No, nobody's seeing this. No, nobody will see how handsome you look today. They'll just be hearing our voices. And I'm actually, Tom, thankful for that too. I really uh, am very thankful that this is just something you listen to. So, um, Joe, thank you for being a part of this and being our source of just great wisdom. To our listeners who have questions, please contact us at therealenneagram at gmail.com. Please send us questions or comments. We, we love to get those and to answer those. And, or you can visit our website, which is theicb.org. And on that website, there's more information about the organization and about the Enneagram. There's a free Enneagram typing test there you can take if you're interested and still looking to figure that out. And thank you for listening today. That wraps up another episode of The Real Enneagram, brought to you by the Institute for Conscious Being. If you're interested in furthering these conversations, please reach out to us through our Instagram at The Real Enneagram. Or if you're interested in our upcoming trainings or other resources, please visit our website, www.instituteforconsciousbeing.org. Thanks for listening.